The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that come from loss. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please go to my host page at Voice America to connect with me in your favorite way. Thank you to all the listeners who followed, connected, linked, and especially emailed to ask a question, suggest a guest, or just let me know what you think of the show. This show is a conversation between me, the guests, and you, so it moves me to hear what you're thinking and feeling. Today I'm welcoming... Nick Jalen and Jethro Heiko. Nick Jalen is the lead designer of My Gift of Grace, a conversation game for living and dying well. He specializes in designing tools and processes for challenging conversations, creating workplaces that support empathy and communication. The tools and methods that Nick has developed as a partner at the Action Mill break the limited beliefs organizations and individuals have about their ability to affect change. Jethro Heiko is also a partner in the Action Mill, a human-centered design firm in Philadelphia. The Action Mill improves communication and decision-making about end-of-life care. Following the death of his father 20 years ago, Jethro founded Reflect, the five-college bereavement support program, which worked to help college students cope with the terminal illness or death of of a loved one. Nick and Jethro, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Oh, very pleased to have you. I was really so intrigued. A client sent me the link to your game. And just the idea of playing a game to generate conversation instead of win or lose. Mm. And then uh, to, to generate conversation about something so sometimes so hard for people to talk about. It really had me hooked. Can you... Uh, Share with the listeners a little more about the game and and what you're sure. doing with it. Sure, absolutely. So yeah, so this is a it's a card game um, and it has a set of chips along with it, and uh, you know it's it's basically it operates in the same way that many other games work, except that it has this added element that all of the questions have to do with living and dying well. Um, but I think it's important to remember that like, this is something that actually games are pretty good at doing already, um, that is helping us have conversations with each other. Um, if you think about games like poker or games like charades, you know, one of the great things about them is they provide a platform. They give us something to do together. Um, and by, by having that platform, it makes it easier for us to have conversations about all sorts of important things. Um, and so our game is, is 
particularly geared toward um, these kinds of conversations that we often wind up not having until we're in crisis or until um, a loved one is either near death or has just died. Um, and these are the kinds of conversations that people often put off. Um, you know, we're, we're scared to have them and therefore we sort of say we'll do it the next day or we'll say we'll do it the next year or the next month. And, uh, and then we never actually get around to them. And there's a good reason for that. It's that we don't really have a lot of tools that help us have these conversations. So that's really the intent of the game is to give us a really solid, specific tool um, that operates by giving people specific questions to respond to. Um, and then the, the game part of it actually works on gratitude. It works on being able to express appreciation for the people around you, which is another really important part of these kinds of conversations. <coughs> the other thing that, that occurs to me is that uh, these particular conversations usually are quite uh, laced with fear but the idea of a game is not laced with fear. <laughs> I, yeah. And I wonder if that doesn't kind of help people who are very afraid of it. It's not just that they haven't gotten around to it, but they're mm-hmm. actually afraid of it. Do yeah. you find that to be true? I think that's true. And I think it's partly, you know, part of it is just a straight up fear of death, which is something that I think, you know, all of us have experienced and probably experience on a regular basis. But it's also the fear of the unknown. And I think that's why having a set of specific questions, not all of which are focused on death and dying, many of them are focused on living, on, you know, what are what is most valuable to you, your memories of great experiences, difficult experiences, and how you've dealt with it. So actually having tangible uh, questions that you can hook onto and build a conversation around is really important. So there's definitely, you know, there's the fear of death, but then there's also the fear of the unknown and the unknown of having a conversation about such a weighty topic. Yes. And I was really drawn to some of those questions. I could see, uh, why they were in, you know, a. um, something that deals with end of life, and yet they were about now, like what activities make you lose track of time? That stuck out to me. What what habit makes your life worth living? Um, it, they were definitely living-focused as well as, as end-of-life-focused. And I'm assuming that was very intentional. It was intentional, and it partly comes from all the testing that we did with um, many, many different people uh, in different situations at different points in their lives where we were trying to – I mean, basically, we had hundreds of questions that we were asking, and the ones that are in the box are the ones that evoked the most interesting um, conversations, the most open-ended questions that really got people talking about stuff that we wouldn't necessarily have predicted – um, that that one question you asked about how uh, what activities make lose make you lose track of time was actually uh, my great aunt Lib recommended that question very oh. early on and and she's just I, I actually have a blog post about her on our site she's one of my favorite people and and when she suggested that question it just seemed so clearly obvious that, that was something that should be in there uh, uh, yes and in terms of. Um you know, I guess that would give people an idea, you know, if you lose track of time when you're listening to music, people could play you music, but but also it's so current. I think that tells us so much about what's important in in our everyday life. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um so the other thing that stuck out was the fact that you start 
every game with the same two questions, um, which I thought was a brilliant, (laughs) a brilliant stroke. Um, Being, do you have fears about playing the game and hopes you have about playing the the game? Did you start out with that? Um, I think I've been, has this been you talking, Nick? Yeah, it's been Nick so far, but actually Jethro uh, came up with those questions, so maybe he could talk yeah. about those. Could you, could you tell me some about those questions, Jethro, and how they came into sure. the game? Sure. I think there's a couple reasons why they came in. I think the, the main one is that in a lot of ways what we're doing with the game is what a facilitator does with, you know, in, with, a, with a room of people um, or with a group that they're working with, um, but the facilitator can't be there. So if, when you're creating a game that people are playing, they have to be able to facilitate themselves you know, as a group. So the fears and hopes question is one that I think for the last couple of decades I've used with almost every group of people I'm working with uh, to really set the stage for the conversation that's going to happen. So it allows, you, it allows everyone that's playing the game to hear from everyone else, you know, what are their fears and hopes. And it sets a tone. It creates a container. It creates uh, sort of the expectations for what people are, you know, hope to get out of the playing the game as well as some of their anxiety, which then, you know, creates sort of a more safe, comfortable environment for everyone to play also normalizes that of course people are afraid mm-hmm. when they're talking about that that's sort of a normal part of it as yeah. well as maybe maybe some hopes maybe people are a little less aware of their hopes about it but i'm sure they're aware of their fears i think that's right i think i think there's a normalizing and it also reminds me of you know giving permission to let things in and for people to be themselves which i think is really important when it comes to grieving that you know, that grieving is a normal process, um, and you, you, people need sometimes to be given permission to let go or to experience whatever they're experiencing. I think it's similar with when it comes to being hopeful or being fearful, that you know, sometimes it's hard to articulate that on your own without being uh, permitted to do so and invited in to do so. Almost, almost um, uh, expected to do so, maybe. That's right. Yeah. Um, the other thing that really caught my attention was the ways in which you got at some very important end-of-life issues through what I consider to be kind of unusual avenues. For instance, do you want your death to be announced on Facebook? If yes, by whom? Um, I've been reading a lot about, you know, uh, memorial on Facebook information about your grief on Facebook, and I thought that was a very telling question for right now. Yeah, and I I think actually the interesting thing about questions like that is that they often bring up discussions that are not actually in the question. They bring up, you know, people like to talk about what their attitude is about Facebook and social media, and this sort of gives them an opportunity to do that. Um, And it's an actual, you know, it's an important consideration um, because we share a lot through social media these days. So, you know, it's the, it's the kind of thing both that evokes a much larger conversation about values, and it's kind of an important thing for the people around you who care about you to know. Yes, I, I, um, the things that, you know, my wife, who was ill for a long time before she died, uh, the things that she told me that gave me permission about the future were extremely important. Uh, and she did a lot of that, you know, so I think, uh, you're inviting that 
nobody nobody in a person's family who's got the answer to that question is going to be wondering whether it would have been okay with them. <laughs> They've got that information. Right. And that yeah. unknown, like that, that, that not knowing, if you've lost somebody and don't know what their wishes were, can be really traumatic. Um, and I think this is a way of sort of opening up those conversations and trying, giving people a space to talk about whatever it is that they're scared of happening, either as they're dying or, or after they die. Those unknowns can be really hard on the person who's dying and on their family. Yes, there's the trauma, but there's also a sense that I find many people have of really wanting to honor the person. Mm. Uh, but but you can't do that if you if you don't know what they would feel honored by. <laughs> I okay. guess. Do mm-hmm. Do you find that people uh, connect with with that idea too, or maybe? Maybe not so much because this is an in it. That certainly didn't occur to me until I was, you know, in that position. Um, but I do think that's a part of it. Do you? Do you guys think so? I think so. I think, and I think that's interesting too, because as someone that's been talking about these issues and now playing the game a lot, you know, since we, since it came out a few months ago, and then during the testing, I find that it's it's been really interesting to see how people experience those questions that often are left to near the end or to when you're you know older uh, so seeing younger people play people that maybe haven't been thinking about it, 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 it not, it's not only been really interesting to see them themselves cope with cope with it and think about it but then also within the context of the relationships that they have or that I've, I have with my friends and my wife um, as someone who's not you know I'm 40 years old um, and I do know I'm going to die but I'm not currently dying um it's been really it's been really uh it really strengthens the relationships that i've had and that i've seen other people have with the people they're playing with because all of a sudden they get to talk about what's important to them and how they want to be honored um without there being necessarily an impending uh, death which i think has been really i think very healthy uh, for the people that i've i've been playing with and that i've observed other you know play, uh, people play playing so that resonates with me. I, I don't remember who who I heard say this, but the the quote is, "If you can talk about death, you can talk about anything." Uh, <laughs> you know that that just opening up that conversation. Oh, we can talk about this. Well, then let me tell you about this other thing that I haven't told you. Uh, I've certainly found that in my life. Um, that kind of an open place uh, opens. Lots of things up, potentially. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what have you found most satisfying about the, the games you've played with people? You know, what, what do they do that you two find satisfying uh, and, and gratifying as the game developers? So, so for me, it's, it's always the conversations that I wasn't expecting. Um, you know, I think there's a really important set of questions here that it's useful for the people who you care about to hear your answers to. And much bigger than that is, like, 
there's all sorts of stuff that people don't really give themselves an opportunity to share. There's all sorts of things that we all think ourselves and we think that we're the only ones who think them and we're the only ones who worry about them. <laughs> and there are these moments when we play this game when, you know, there have been so many people who have contributed to this game by just agreeing to play in front of us. And there have been amazing conversations that I've gotten to witness where families share family history, families share fears, people get to, you know, come out and talk about things that they've been wanting to talk about for maybe their whole lives. And those have been the moments that have been most important to me. It's those conversations that you never thought you were going to have. And then you get to, we've gotten to witness many of them, which has been beautiful. That does sound amazing. It's time for our first break, and when we come back, I really want to talk about what drew the two of you to want to make this your work. So uh, during the break, please be sure to go to the Good Grief homepage, host page at Voice America, and to find out more about Nick and Jethro's company, go to mygiftofgrace.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. How do you find out more about wellness? When we let our busy schedule keep us on the run without stopping, something's going to give. How is the balance in your life? Are you overhyped or feeling run down constantly? Is stress doing its part to control your life? Listen for Be Well Bites with host Jamie Relay. Our show is all about connecting you with the experts that can help you with living a nourishing and fulfilling life in small, bite-sized tips and ideas. Nourish yourself and tune in to Be Well Bites on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you ready to laugh and learn as you get the info that will get you fit? Small steps can lead to big changes once you're headed in the right direction. Join the dynamic twin sister and exercise expert team of Alexandra Williams and Kimberly Williams-Evans on active aging for Boom Chicka Boomers. K&A bring you top-level guests who offer active aging advice and practical tips you can use today. Enjoy the second phase of life with vitality, brain power, and energy. Active aging for Boom Chicka Boomers airs live Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. 
Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. Today I'm speaking with Nick Jalen and Jethro Heiko, whose game, My Gift of Grace, helps people have conversations about end of life and about living life, too. So I want to start with you on this segment, Jethro. Can you tell the listeners what compelled you to do this work? Sure. I mean, it's from... I, always, I often trace back my work in this area to uh, the experience of taking care of my father when he was dying of cancer um, about 21 years ago. Um, and I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time caring for him. I was in college at the time and was able to um, create a schedule that brought me home um, for three to four day weekends, every weekend. So I, I got to not be his primary caregiver, but got to support my mother, who is his primary caregiver, and do a lot of things that primary caregivers do, uh, including you know, uh, feeding him through a tube and um, bathing him, and, and then also having the challenging, at times very difficult, and at times very joyful conversations that can go along with taking care of someone that you care about uh, near the end of their lives. Uh, and then following that, I, I had a really challenging year uh, after he died, and I took some time off from college and um, traveled to see my girlfriend, now my wife, um, who was actually studying uh, abroad. And then when I returned to school, I really wanted to uh, do something with my experience that would help other young people who were dealing with death and dying, you know, the loss of a loved one, and founded an organization that um, they work with young people to help them cope with the terminal illness or loss of a loved one. And I ran that program for a few years. Um, And between the experience of working with young people and the experience of taking care of my father, I just found that the conversations that I was a part of in talking to my father and in in working with young people uh, who were coping with uh, with loss, they were just so transformative and, and interesting to me. And I became fascinated with grief and bereavement, um, and it's, it sort of stayed with me regardless of whatever work I was doing and then work I've been doing with Nick for the last 12, 15 years, longer, um, and now with the Action Mill for the last eight years, um, I've always found that grieving is either right at the surface or, um, or, right at, or at the foundation of people's day-to-day experience, um, and the game has been, has been a really great kind of return to really focusing on uh, conversations about death and dying that I find to be very, um, again, very transformative, very useful and valuable to how I live. One thing that strikes me about your story is that um, the, the period where your father died is sort of the launching period. And, uh, Sometimes it's kind of hard to return, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, uh, but it sounds as if you were compelled to do that, to go take care of your father. You don't talk about it as much of a, it, it almost sounds like a no-brainer sort of choice. Was it like that for you? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, I, I sort of dove in and I found myself being 
a lot more courageous than I think I expected at the time. <laughs> um, and I and I think um, and I think the reason why I kind of returned to it is. Well, for example, when we were designing the game, I kept on thinking, well, you know, if we can just give people the experience of talking with a loved one or friend um, as if it's at the end of their lives without the need for it to be at the end of their lives. Like if we can get to that kind of even like a taste of that, uh, that experience where you get to really be yourself, uh, vulnerable and courageous. Um, the way I think my father and I were in those conversations and the way he was with everyone, I think, at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, wow, that would be such a great gift to people, not to say that we can always get there, and, of course, people have to be willing to to, to play, um, but I, I found that actually people people are looking for the permission and the structure to 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 have these conversations and I think often are hungering for it, even if they can't articulate that. So, Well, and to me that sort of also connects with the whole, um, I don't know, I guess cultural direction away from intimacy when actually that's what people most yearn for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so, so this sort of gives them a way to get there. Yes. No question. Yes. And, um, Nick, I know you came to this from a little bit different kind of, I would call it a lost experience. I don't know if you would. Could you tell the listeners about your experience that, that led here? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, it's hard to trace back exactly where uh, my interest in this kind of work came from. But I think a lot of it um, has to do with what Jethro was just talking about, about um, finding the courage to have difficult conversations. And if you look at the work that, you know, Jethro and I have worked together for many, many years, it's a little debatable whether it's 16 or 17 or it's been a long time. Um, but very early on, our work um, had to do with creating situations where people could have these difficult conversations, whether it was with people they were close to or people who were perceived to be their enemies um, you know, we, we've created a, a bunch of different tools that, that give people, I think, you know, what, what Jethro was just saying, the, the, that um, encourage them to be courageous, that give them permission, but also give them structure. I mean, I think that's one of the things about there's a, you know, there's a lot of people sharing a huge amount of very personal information uh, right now through social media. Um, but there's not a lot of structure. And I think that that's one of the difficult things. So like, there's a, you know, I would say there's a lot of oversharing. Um, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't share our, you know, innermost thoughts. It's just that doing it in a scattershot way actually doesn't create the con- kind of connections that we're looking to create. So, you know, from my own personal um, experience, there, there've been a number of difficult conversations or conversations that I, uh, you know, sort of wanted to have for a long time with people who were close to me that generally happened toward either when someone had had an illness or toward the end of their life that I am tremendously thankful I got to have, um, with them, you know, specifically thinking of a conversation with my grandfather that I had after he broke his hip that, you know, I got to sit in the hospital with him for, I think it was four hours and just, you know, talked about, all sorts of really personal, deep stuff. Um, and, you know, there was, if, that ha- if that afternoon hadn't happened, I wouldn't have had that conversation. And what a huge 
hole there would be in my life if I hadn't had it. So, um, you know, that there's a Without whole bunch you of different... even knowing it, maybe. Ex- exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, they, and these are not, you know, I, if you looked at the subjects that we talked about that afternoon, you wouldn't necessarily find them terribly interesting. But for me and my grandfather, it was, um, it was really important and really useful. And I felt like a full participant and got to have a conversation with somebody who I had a tremendous amount of respect for where I felt like he was reflecting that back on me. So, you know, and, and he didn't, he, he, he didn't die for a few years after that, but, um, it was one of those sort of crisis moments. So, you know, we, in our work, we're often looking for where are the moments of crisis that we can intervene and create some structure, um, and some permission that allow people to use the courage that they have to have these kind of difficult conversations. I'm I'm interested in how conversation cultivates connection. Uh, Some sometimes it doesn't, of course, (laughs) but (laughs) but (laughs) but to uh, when it does, it's it's so beautiful. And I hear that in what you're talking about. That what was important about that conversation was connection and reflection. Yeah. And more than the exact words. Exactly. And it's a, it's a bit of a dance. I mean, on some level, it's about entering into a sort of meaningful interaction where you take turns and ask questions. And they're real questions about things that you actually don't know the answer to and are genuinely interested in. And I think that's why this, you know, this thing that Jethro brought up about structure is so important. We're not necessarily great at doing that. And having a little bit of structure around you helps you to sort of get out of your own way. Well, the other thing, since I'm a a therapist by trade, you actually have people interact with the questions themselves before they share it. Yes. Which to me seems very helpful. Uh. I don't know yeah. if it was always, you know, structured that way, but uh, it seemed very helpful to me interacting with the game. I actually don't remember if it was from the very first iteration, but of the tools that we've created, there is almost always some period of silence. Um, and that's partly because in a group of people, there's often people who are dominating the conversation and people who aren't. And it's not, you know necessarily out of aggression. Sometimes people dominate a conversation because they're scared to hear what other people are going to say. So building in periods of silence, building in clear signals to each other, I'm done writing, I'm ready to listen. I'm, you know, I've listened to you, here's my feedback. All of that is sort of built into the game just because that's what we've been doing for, you know, the last decade of work that we've we've done together. Silence is always a really important part of that um, because listening is an important part. It also seemed like you got very good uh, professional feedback. Uh, I know you um, uh, spoke with Dr. Biok, for instance. Can can you talk about you know what kinds of advisors you uh, pulled together to support the game? Sure. Um, so, yeah, we had a, a number of people who are professionals in, in giving end-of-life care um, and having these exact kinds of conversations in a healthcare context. Um, we also talked to funeral home directors. Um, we talked to a lot of hospice nurses. Hospice nurses are sort of, I would, I would say they were the sort of basis for, all, for many of the 
um, questions and the things that we um, integrated into the game. They were the sort of earliest conversations we had, and we always were going back to check with them. Um, and then other people who have built tools like this. You know, we we drew on there are there are a number of really good projects, and some of them have already been featured on your show. But things like the Conversation Project, mm-hmm. um, things like Go Wish. There's there's a number of of other organizations and projects that have been doing really good work in this area, and we're not we weren't out to reinvent the wheel. We were out to sort of bring our our own take on um, on this kind of conversation and how to facilitate it. Um, so you know, a lot of hospice nurses and a lot of people who do end of life care, and then also people who you know we we brought in a disability activist to give us some feedback on the questions, um, and then we played it with hundreds of people um, before it ever uh, got turned into the actual game. I, I agree with you about hospice nurses. They're, uh, they're, they, are, they have some commonality among them <laughs> in terms of having thought about these questions a great deal. Hospice yeah. chaplains also tend to have thought about them a great deal. Um, one other, sorry to step in. But one other no, thing absolutely. Thinking about it, an earlier question you asked. One of the things that was really gratifying, I was watching a game of hospice nurses, watching a group of hospice nurses and social workers playing the game. And I, one of the things that was so gratifying was upon we did a reflection section session after they played, and one of the hospice nurses talked about how they're often asking these kinds of questions to the to patients and families they're working with but they often aren't asking them of themselves. And I found just, you know, she went on to talk about the, the, the empathy that, that, that the game inspired in her to understand, um, you know, to understand that it, it's a lot to be asking these questions, you know, if you're a professional, uh, and there's a lot to improve upon when you're a professional if you're constantly asking these questions because you're actually trying to create, you know, a, a meaningful connection so you actually get the you know, get answers that are honest and authentic from your patients and, and their loved ones. And you can, you know, that kind of work is so difficult that, you know, sometimes it becomes easier to 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 ask questions out of habit rather than to really be, you know, present and in the moment. Mm. So that was really gratifying to, like, it was sort of like a, just a moment of uh, tremendous um, humility to understand like that it really is so difficult to be on either side of, of that work, um, whether you're, you know, a you know, patient and loved one coping with terminal illness or you're um, a hospice professional or other healthcare professional who's dealing with, you know, death and dying on a daily basis. The other thing that comes to my mind there is, is there's, uh, I had a hospice chaplain on uh, a few months ago who talked about um, uh, care, care, giver fatigue in medical Mm. professionals and in my mind some of that would come if you if you aren't in touch with your own experience of death and dying and you're kind of trying to just do a job but meanwhile that's affecting you I can imagine that might be an aspect of of that kind of fatigue our, our, our second break has come along already so in these few minutes, be sure to go to my host page, Good Grief at Voice America, or my website, weatheringgrief.com. 
I'm available for individual and couples therapy in the Bay Area and for speaking and consulting nationally. Please also find Jethro and Nick at mygiftofgrace.com. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. Make the most of your beautiful life. Listen to Ageless Living with Dr. Tong Lee and co-host Kurt Wilhelm to gain tips on how to live healthier and happier, alleviate suffering, prevent disease, become more beautiful in body, mind, and fashion, and find peace, balance, and success in your life. Are you aware that every 3,500 calories that you eat above what you burn will put a pound of fat on your body? And running one mile only burns 200 calories? So portion size does matter, and migraines do have a cure. What is it? You'll have to tune in Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms, and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Jethro Heiko and... Nick Jalen, developers of My Gift of Grace, a game designed to facilitate end-of-life conversations. And uh, I, I just want to make sure and say that you can, in fact, buy that game on their website, which is mygiftofgrace.com. So I know you're in, uh, in the part of your journey with the game where you're... Um, You've now got it out for sale. It's in the world, and um, it's your baby is birthed in a sense, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I really want to talk about what is coming of it. You know where where it's um, 
where it's being used, how it's being used, what your hopes and dreams are for it, all of that. I I know you had a Kickstarter that was successful, and that's kind of what launched it. But um, what's going on with it now? Do you want to take that, Jethro? Sure. Jethro, do you want to go? Oh, sure. Um, it's been really uh, well. It's been really great. I mean, it's, we've sold out our first our first order of games, and the shipment of the next large order just arrived at our office last week. So that's been really exciting that, you know, we had a Kickstarter campaign and the people that backed us, 400-plus backers, you know, were our early investors and customers, and they, they, they got us to this point, which has been really uh, heartening, and we're very um, grateful to them. And now what we're finding is that, uh, you know, we're hearing from and talking to lots of people that are actually playing the game in the world, and it's a really great mix of people who... Um, you know, many of whom are in organizations, in hospice organizations, in healthcare and hospital organizations, as well as um, lawyers and religious um, professionals, so and academics. So there's been a really nice mix of people playing it, and what we're increasingly doing is seeing how we can, uh, you know, meet the needs uh, with the game and our other, you know, tools and our expertise to help uh, advance the way in which our culture, our society, and the organizations in it talk about these issues so that people get the care they need. Um, so that's, that's a big part of what's happening now is, you know, learning a lot more from the people who are actually playing the game and, and hearing about how they're using it uh, so that we can create more uh, services and more tools that, that help them um, meet the needs that they are, you know, in the mission to, to provide. So. So did you know at the start that it would kind of, that the game itself would lead to a broader vision for you and your company? Or has that kind of come out of it uh, organically? I think it's, uh, Nick may have had a different experience than me, but I feel like it's been very organic. We had sort of hunches and hopes, but we weren't, you know, for example, I didn't know, we have a um, the head of palliative care for a large health system in the Midwest, Who's been using it to train other doctors? And I didn't. I couldn't have. I couldn't have imagined that that would be one of the outcomes. Uh, that, that the game could be used in that way. And and now we're focused a lot more on that. Uh, with that in that need, you know, in terms of how to support healthcare professionals, including doctors, to to be more themselves in these conversations and to um, and to elicit um, you know goals of care and values from their patients and families that. Uh, you know, that's going to reduce stress, reduce cost, and improve the quality of care that people have. So, so I think it's been pretty organic uh, in my experience of it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely right. I mean, you know, when we sort of set out to create this game because we thought it was important, and we've been sort of following it where it leads us. Um, and you know. About a year and a half ago, we, as as part of our experience of doing this, we were exploring whether or not end-of-life conversations and decision-making was going to be a larger part of our business. Um, and it's ended up being all of our business. It's everything mm. that we do now, which is really uh, a pretty exciting place to be. It's a little bit scary because there's not a huge number of uh, design companies out there that are focused only on this. Um, but it's 
you know, it's incredibly gratifying. And I and I'll I just echo what Jethro said that the you know hearing from palliative care teams that are using this as part of their internal training and talking to hospices um, who are you know giving it to their staff and and having people use it. I think the most surprising thing. Uh, for me, was that we designed it as a as a tool for families, but it's actually starting to get a lot of traction um, inside healthcare systems, not just in supporting patients, but also in supporting um, supporting doctors, supporting nurses, supporting administrators, who are of course all patients themselves. And I think it's mm-hmm. you know we've heard a lot of people tell us this is a great way to build empathy. Um, among staff for people to really deeply understand what this kind of uh, conversation and what this what end of life planning um, is really like for the people that they're working with and that's you know that's the most exciting thing for me and and possibly too uh, I, I read somewhere and I'm not remembering where at the moment that that many medical uh, professionals uh, wish that these conversations were happening because they're kind of stuck. Do they bring it up? Do they not? You know, um, even when they're aware, can they open it? And to me, it seems as if uh, this would be, uh, I know Harriet Warshaw from the Conversation Project, we were talking about how their ABC News spot gave people a way to open the conversation. The game get, gives people a way to open the conversation too. Would you like to try this kind of thing? Is yeah. that? Do you think that's happening too with more medical people being aware of of the game and having that's, used it themselves? That's what we're hearing. I mean, I think there's a you know there's a tendency. Healthcare is a complex space, and there's a lot of different interests and a lot of different things going on, and a huge amount of demand for people's time. Um, so you know, there's there's all sorts of fears and then there's actual structural reasons why these conversations don't happen. But I do think it's true that, you know, when it comes right down to it, people wish that they could have them um, if they had a way to do it. And so our game is one of many ways that are being introduced. And I think, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of different needs and we're hoping that we're uh, filling some of them with our tool and we're hoping that we have a place in this really large movement that I think is starting to grow around starting this kind of conversation. Yes, I do think I've, I've uh, one of my family members is ill, so I've been interacting with a lot of medical people. And what it seems like is when we are direct about these kinds of considerations, end of life, quality versus quantity, there's sort of a palpable relief in the room yeah. <laughs> that... Once that's being talked about, everyone sort of relaxes. Oh, good. That's not off the table for. So I do think it goes kind of both ways. Each side maybe being nervous to bring it up, but it's, it's uh, so much easier to work together if, if that's out there. Have you gotten that feedback from other people as well? I, I definitely think that's true. I think we, we keep on hearing that, um, that story that you just uh, relayed that that you know once people are given permission um, there's a there's a flood of of conversations that come can come out of it and who gives permission can be different in different cases the patient can give permission to doctors doctors can give permission to patients nurses can help um, their coworkers start to have these kind of conversations and this is sort of another you know 
we're a design company, but our our company comes out of community organizing, out of principles based on um, uh, all of the long history of community organizing. And part of that is understanding this problem as a community problem. This isn't an individual problem. This is all of us uh, working on something together. So give, having a web of permission, having a web of structures, and uh, displaying courage in front of other people so that they will display courage is all a part of what this uh, this game is all about. And Jethro talks a lot, I think, about you know the importance of playing the game in public, which we're going to do um, at a series of events around the country um, coming up in the next few weeks. And we're actually going to go and, and do it in uh, at Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia next week. Um, and that's part of you know giving permission. It's part of this community organizing agenda of um, giving permission to people around you to have these conversations by doing it in front of them. What's the date of that? In case there are Philadelphia listeners, uh, there are some. So, so there, there's a, we're going to be playing at Reading Terminal Market at, on Tuesday, April fifteenth at noon, um, and right in the, the central area of Reading Terminal Market. And then uh, Nick mentioned events around the country, and those are on, on our website, mygiftofgrace.com. Uh, we uh, connect with a lot of people who are going to be hosting game events. Some of them are private, many of them are private, and some of them are public. Uh, and, and listeners can find the list uh, and uh, still actually have a week to to um, register their event if they're interested well. Oh, that's fantastic. I work with a an organization out in the San Francisco Bay Area called Women's Cancer Resource Center, hmm. uh, and we've been talking about getting, uh, you know, getting some decks and, and doing a community event. We do a lot of community events there. So that's just along the lines of what you're talking about that, um, you know, it's kind of a natural fit for an organization like that. Um, Correct. You know, it's just an obvious, wow, this would be, because they've already had conversation project events and all of, all of that sort of thing. Um, sometimes illness you know, terminal or life-threatening illness is the opening of the conversation, which is, of course, a a little more of a brutal way to <laughs> come into it. But um, people are ready for that conversation a little more often under yeah. those conditions. I think that's great. And I, and I think that I just want to speak a little bit about the playing in public, the value of that. I think that what I found is that, you know, people have ideas about what this conversation is that are not at all... Uh, that don't match with the experience that, that people actually have when they have them. You know, so people wouldn't, people often would think, oh, Jethro, you talking with your father, that sounds really horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but people that actually have had that experience of, of caregiving, of course, there, it's, it's very exhausting, but there are also those moments of real joy and transformation and opportunities uh, to learn. And I think there's something about playing in public that just ch- totally changes the the ideas about what this conversation is. The ideas, for example, that it's just uh, sad or that it's private um, can be challenged, uh, I think, very directly um, by playing in public and playing with strangers. We've had a number of game events where people who don't know each other play, and they quickly say that it was the, uh, and upon reflection, when we talk with them, they say that it was the, the quickest way that they built relationships in their memory because they, you know, they got right at what was important pretty quickly um, by playing the game. So. Well, and also maybe to prepare to talk with – sometimes it is easier to talk with a stranger. That's right. 
<laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, especially about sensitive topics yeah. that there might be disagreement about. So I can imagine that yeah. uh, sometimes that's an easier start point. I think that's right. I think we one of the goal, one of the objectives of the game was to not just have people start the conversation, but to 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 create something that was motivating and. Um, exciting enough to to keep on playing. So I think, yeah, uh, what we've heard from a lot of people who have played is that there is something about starting with people you don't know, which gives you the practice to kind of move up to the more, you know, potentially higher stakes, potentially more difficult conversations as you bring it to your closest friends and bring it to your loved ones. Uh, And having that practice makes for a much better conversation uh, Mm -hmm. when you actually have it Mm -hmm. with your loved ones. So. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left, so I have a, a final brief question. Do you guys have, each of you have a favorite card? That is a great oh, question. That is a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have one, but it, yeah? there's, there's a few that are in the running, but the one that really keeps popping back up is what habit makes your life worth living? Oh, that is a really good. I, I, I do, I do like that question. Are you, you got one? Are you going to share your answer, Cheryl? <laughs> what's that? What's my your... What's my answer? Love. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. I think I, question twenty-seven comes to mind in part because of my daughter's response. My daughter's five years old, uh, and has actually looked through every question with me and 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 talked about it with me, which has been really nice. I haven't played the full game with her yet, but uh, but the question 27 is, in the movie The Princess Bride, Buttercup realizes that every time Wesley says, as you wish, what he really means is, I love you. What is a similar code phrase that someone you know uses to say, I love you? And when I asked that question of my daughter, Hazel, her response was, Daddy, when you tell me good night. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, that was going to be mine. <laughs> that was going to be yours too. <laughs> yeah, I love that question. Um, but my I, kids are older, so <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 I really. I mean, there's so many great questions that that we. I mean, I, I say great questions. It's our our game, but so many people contributed to it. And I guess that's the last thing I'll say is, you know, Jethro and I are are talking on the show today, but um, Rob Pegler and Georgia Guthrie are the two other members of the Action Mill team, um, and we all four de- designed this game together, so I wanted to make sure they get their, their names in here, because this was really a group effort. Great. Jethro and Nick, it's been great being with you. Thanks for, so much for being here. It was very enjoyable. To learn more or buy games, go to mygiftofgrace.com, and I hope you'll join me next week with Mariana Cacciatore, whose book, Being There for Someone in Grief, is a wonderful guide for supporters and also tells the story of Mariana's own loss and grief experience. Her childhood friend was murdered. We'll be talking about resilience, how we cultivate it after loss, and what it creates in us. And again, please go to my host page. Uh, this has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thank you. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 